0: Scripture reading today comes from Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of earth. He does not faint or grow re- re- weary. His understandings is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who might increase his strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. Even young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with their wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Thank you. No, you're good. Thank you. All right. Good morning. For those of you who might not know me, my name is Mark. I'm one of the elders here at Sola Church. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn them to Isaiah chapter forty. That did not work how I thought it would. There we go. Oh, nice. I'm short, but I'm not that short. All right, now that's too high. We'll get this. Okay, I think that's good enough. Isaiah forty. Um, We've been in the book of Isaiah. Um, If you've been with us for a while, you know we've actually been in it for a long time. (laughs) Um, It was kind of exciting this week. I've got uh, commentaries on Isaiah from uh, Walter Brueggemann, and it's in two volumes, and this week is our first sermon in the new volume. Um, So like, we're at least halfway through now. We're more than halfway through, but um, it was just exciting to be able to get get the new version out um, and start in chapter 40. If you remember back... Um, we talked, uh, last time we talked, we were in chapter 39, um, and it ended with this, uh, um, this really sad event in Hezekiah's life where he brings in all of the, um, ambassadors from Babylon and he shows them all of his riches, um, and he's trying to fit in, he's trying to show off his power, um, he's trying to make himself look good, um, and Isaiah comes in and says, listen, those people from Babylon... Like, it's a good thing you showed them all that because they're going to come and they're going to take all of it and they're going to take it back to Babylon with you and your, with, actually, not with you, with your sons um, and your daughters. And, and everybody's going to go off to Babylon in exile. And Hezekiah, of course, has his um, response that, well, at least it won't happen while I'm alive. So, you know, this, what God commands is good, right? Because it's not going to happen to me. Now, We are in this transition period, and there's a reason that Brueggemann decided to break his volumes in two here, and end at 39, and then start at 40, because there's this hard transition where um, he's talking uh, in 1 through 39 about Judah and the events in Judah, and he's got one country that he keeps referring to over and over again. Do you know who he keeps referring to? Anybody remember? What's the big enemy that's coming that he's going to be protected from? No, not yet. Assyria, right? And so over and over again, like it was, it was kind of a broken record. Um, like why are you trusting in Egypt as an ally? Why are you trusting in Edom as an ally? Don't you know that Assyria is going to come and just destroy them? Um, and, and so it's all, a lot of it is about Assyria and you get some glimpses of Babylon. Now we're switching gears and he's going to talk from now on about Babylon, and about Persia, who's going to come in after Babylon. And so we have this transition where Hez- or Isaiah makes this prophecy to Hezekiah that you're going to go off in bondage into into Babylon, and now we turn the page to 40, and it looks like now um, we're talking about them in exile in Babylon. Okay, so there's, there's a couple interpretations here really quick, depending on what you believe about the authorship of Isaiah. And I'm not going to get too deep into it, um, but there's there's two main commentators that we've been using. Um, There's Macher and there's Brueggemann. And Macher says Isaiah is the only one, like the man named Isaiah is the only one that wrote in Isaiah. And so here he's prophesying about the future of things that are going to happen and come to pass through Babylon. Brueggemann says, well, Isaiah wrote the first part and the rest was collated by scribes that were part of the the school of Isaiah. And so now this prophecy that we're getting now um, is prophecy that's happening while or after they're in exile, after they've gone into exile, okay? So whatever you believe about this, it seems that between 39 and 40, we have almost 150 years of history, you know, 140 to 140. 50 years of history. Um, the northern tribes go off into, into exile in 722, around 722 BC. Um, Assyria carries them off and they're, you know, they're destroyed. Um, Judah doesn't go into exile until around 586 BC. And so we've got about 140, 150 year change here. That's a long time if you think about it. In fact, if you think about our own history, Uh, About 140, 150 years ago, um, the the 14th Amendment passed, giving black men the right to vote. Um, Women actually won't have it for another 50 years in 1920. Um, Rockefeller, Nelson Rockefeller, started the Standard Oil Company around 140, 150 years ago. Um, the Great Chicago Fire, that burned, you know, hundreds of thousands of acres, and um, it left, you know, tens of thousands of people homeless, happened about 140 years ago. Uh, Montgomery Ward. I don't know if any of you remember Montgomery Ward. They began their mail order catalog about 140 years ago. Um, that was actually a, a big deal, especially for people of color, because um, they, they were used to being discriminated against when they walked into the store and all of a sudden the prices went up. But now they could take their catalog and they can send in their order and nobody had to know and they got treated just like everybody else. Anyway, that was about 140 years ago. Um, Levi Strauss patents blue jeans, about 140 years ago. They were originally called copper-riveted overalls. Um, Custer's last stand, remember this is right after the Civil War, this is still during westward expansion. Custer's last stand happened about 140 years ago. It feels far removed from us. The patent for the telephone, Alexander Graham Bell issued his patent for the telephone about 140 years ago, and Edison patents the first practical incandescent light bulb, right? A lot has happened since then. For you kids, iPhones weren't even around. They weren't even invented yet. Can you imagine? There were no TVs. If you think about how much our society has changed and, and, and progressed, like imagine that in, in the history of Israel. Um, that's about the time frame that we're talking about between Assyria taking the northern tribes and Babylon coming along. So we have this long pause here after 39. And we get into 40. Um, We get into 40 and um, Judah has gone off into captivity in Babylon. And it's really bad okay? Um, I mean, people have, have been slaughtered. People have been carried off. Um, you read through the book of Daniel, and they're, you know, they're basically forced into servitude, and they're not, they're not always treated super well. Um, and, um, and you read through Lamentations, and what we see over and over again in Lamentations, especially in chapter one, um, the, the prophet says, she weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has no one to comfort her. Her downfall was appalling with none to comfort her. Zion stretches out her hands, but there is no, no one to comfort her. They heard how I was groaning with no one to comfort me. They are destitute and no one to comfort them. And so what happens here in Isaiah? What does he start out with in, in chapter 40? If you look at 40 verse 1, where does he go? Comfort. Comfort my people," says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, her iniquity is pardoned. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. God issues comfort to His people in their exile. Our big idea—I don't have it up on the screen. I, I realized right before this—it's—it's it's been a week for us. Um, I realized right before the service I didn't put any slides in, um, so I apologize. But our big idea for today is God promises to bring us comfort when we are at our lowest. God promises to bring us comfort when we are at our lowest. So here God is issuing comfort to his people in their exile. Israel here has been pardoned and what he says is, she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. In other words, They have paid the price. They have paid the penalty for all of their sins and idolatry. And God is looking at them and saying, it's enough now. You have suffered enough. You have suffered the consequences for your sins fully. And now what I'm going to issue issue to you is comfort and grace and mercy. All right? So he gets into this comfort. He's going to deliver him comfort. And so, so keep that word comfort in your mind. How is God going to comfort them? So first of all, we have three cries. Starting in verse 3, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So here we have this idea that God is coming, and the highway is going to be made nice and flat and ready. I don't know if you've ever, well, hopefully you live in Colorado, you've driven up into the mountains, right? Have you ever like driven up there and it's like, how did they get a highway up here? How did they make, a, like you drive up the, to the top of Mount Evans and there's part of like, like who did this? How in the world did they accomplish this, right? That we can have this nice, flat road. I mean, it's terrifying, but, you know, it's, it's a nice, flat, easy road that you can get all the way up to the mountains. And here God is saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the valleys, I'm going to lift them up, I'm going to take the mountains, I'm going to flatten them. Everything will be even and nothing Nothing will, will cause me to fail. I will travel without difficulty. I will be undelayed by hindrances. I will have this nice, easy, flat road to come and show you my glory. And so when John the Baptist shows up, what does it say about him? Pre- he, he's, he's this prophet who has come to prepare the way for the Lord. It's hearkening back to Isaiah. And so Jesus is going to come on this highway demonstrating the glory of the Lord. Do you see that? It's flat. There's no hindrances. He's not going to get a a flat tire. He's not going to run out of power moving uphill. It's just, it's going to be nice and easy for him to come in. He's going to prepare that way. Then another voice, verse six, says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Um, And this is interesting. The word that he actually uses here, um, if you look at verse six, he says, "All all flesh is grass And all its beauty, and in in my Bible, I've got a little note that says all its constancy, um, and and neither of those are really great words for this. The Hebrew word is the Hebrew word chesed, all right? Chesed, the guttural H sound. And it's most often translated loving kindness. Like the translators way back um, in, in the 1500s, didn't know what to do with this word, and so they made up the word loving kindness to put it together. It is that covenant faithfulness, the idea of covenant faithfulness, covenant love, and what it's saying here is men, flesh is like grass. It's hesed. It's covenant faithfulness is like the flower of the field. Men are going to disappoint us. Men are going to fail to keep their covenants. Men are going to fall aside and, and not live up to loving kindness. But what? But the word of our God will stand forever, all right? So God here is contrasting the covenant faithfulness that we see in men, and it fails so often with the covenant faithfulness, the hesed of God um, that lasts forever. All right, that's the second cry. There's another cry, Get you up, verse 9, get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. And that good news is, is gospel, right? That's, what, that's where we get our term gospel, the good news. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Uh. And and it goes on, the Lord God comes with might, his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. The Lord God comes like like a, a military hero he is full of might, and he is strong, and he is powerful. Like you know, people like this—you know these mighty people that you know that are muscular. My kids, um, we 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 compare muscles sometimes, and they like to feel dad's muscles. And there's nothing impressive, but compared to them, right? They feel the power of their father. All right. Most of you would not be impressed by it, but my kids are. Okay, <laughs> and I'll take it. But here's this warrior, his arm rules for him, his reward is with him, his recompense is before him, and what's he going to do with all this power? He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms, he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. He is going to take that power and deal gently with his people. Isn't that great? Like he's going to hold them close like, like a lamb. He is full of power. He is the warrior shepherd that's going to come and tend his flock. Man, it's good to have people around us that are powerful. It's even better when that power is gentle and meek, right? Then he moves into uh, chapter two. We're we're going through, through the middle of 42. I promise we'll speed up. But we get to verse 12, and what's going to happen from 12 to 31 is he's going to establish himself as the creator God, okay? So in the middle of, um, of sorrow, in the middle of um, disaster, um, think, of, think of Job here, right? So Job is this guy who honors God, and he loses everything, and he finally comes to God, and he says, God, answer me! What does God do? Does God explain everything to Job? Does God get up there and he's like, Job, listen, here's what's happened. You know, the sons of God were all gathered and Satan came and and he said this and I said this. And and so that's why this happened to you, Job. God doesn't explain his purposes. What God explains to Job is his power, right? God doesn't give Job his plan. He tells Job, I am powerful, Let me show you. And he's going to do the same thing here for the Israelites. And the Israelites are crying. Remember Lamentations? They're weeping bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Her downfall was appalling. None to comfort her. Zion stretches out her hands. There's none to comfort her. They heard how I was growing. No one to comfort me. What does God do? Does he explain his purposes? He says, listen, I am the creator God. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and marked off the heavens with the span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in the balance? And he goes on and on. All the nations are as nothing before him, they are counted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, spreads them like a tent to dwell in, brings princes to nothing, makes the rulers of the earth as empty. He goes on and on and on. And we get to the end of this chapter, and this is what Ella read for us um, this morning. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my right is disregarded by my God? Why, it, Jacob, Israel, why do you think I've forgotten you? Have you not known? Have you not heard? Verse 28 The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't faint, He doesn't grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So, what does He do with that power? Since He doesn't faint, what does He do? He gives power to the faint. And to Him who has no might, He increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Man, isn't that encouraging? And make sure you understand the context here context is key because I see this verse quoted in all kinds of weird places. Like, like you remember, remember the Titans when, when their season is starting to go down the drain and, and they get all the players together and the one, the big guy, I forget his name, the big guy, he's like, he's like, Rev, remember what you taught me? Even youth, and he tries to sing it, shall stumble and fall. Um, and then Rev comes in with his big soulful voice. I'm not going to try to imitate Rev because it'll, it'll sound like the other guy. Um, but in their minds, they're taking this verse and they're applying it to, to football, okay? And, and, and if, you, if you grew up in, in like a, a Christian environment, a lot of times we, we take these verses and like, hey, you know, get up, keep doing your sprints. The Bible says you will, you will uh, run and not be weary and walk and not faint. You're not really trusting God, right? It gets to the fourth quarter. The coach is like, hey... Isaiah says, and I I kid you not, like I've been in these situations, right? Um, But what is the context here? The context is God's people are suffering. They are in exile. They are away from him. And he says what? I'm going to give you the power and strength to endure. I am going to give you the power and strength to endure as people of exile until I bring you out of it. That's what he's talking about. It's not that they're gonna be amazing at sports. It's not that like they're they're gonna be like Samson and have all this power. It's like God is gonna preserve them as people of exile. All right. So we get to the end of, of chapter 40. We 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 go into chapter 41. Um, God has established that he is the creator. Now he's going to establish that he is the ruler of history in one through seven. So he goes on and on. Um, Listen to me in silence. So coastlines, let the people renew their strength. Let them approach, let them speak. Let us uh, together draw near for judgment. Who Who stirred up one from the east whom victory meets at every step? Who ordained Babylon? Who set up Babylon to come and have victory everywhere they went? Okay? God is the one that did it. All right. There's there's been like like several articles because Sarah Huckabee Sanders went on TV and said God God wanted Donald Trump to be president. Okay, God ordained Donald Trump to be president, and in a sense, like in, in an Isaiahic sense, that's true. We just need to figure out was God judging us or like what is God doing here? Because God also ordained Nebuchadnezzar to come and carry it carry. Judah away in judgment, right? So let's be careful about what we mean when we say God has ordained these things. God has ordained for some of us to suffer. And for some of us to go through deep, deep heartache and sorrow and, and, and difficulties, okay? And, and, and God is still good in the midst of that, Right? So, God sets up kings, God tears them down. God lifts up Babylon, and also He's going to come along later on and say, by the way, Persia's going to come, and Babylon's going to be left for nothing. All right, I'm going to judge, I'm I'm raising up Babylon to come and, and judge my people, but they will not get away with their sin either, right? So, God is the ruler of history, and then we get some pictures of consolation. What does it look like for God to give comfort to His people? Well, first, Verse 8 through 13, um, the servant, but you Israel, my servant, this slave becomes a victor, right? Fear not, I'm with you. Be not dismayed. I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I'll help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Don't we sing that? Is there a song that we sing like that, right? Um, And the context is, like, it's not not everything's going well and so I get to praise God. It's, man, I am at my lowest and what has God promised me? I'm with you. Be not dismayed. I'm your God. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you. And he goes on. You will seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord, hold your right hand. It is I who say, fear not. I am the one who helps you. The slave becomes the victor. Then, 14 through 16, the worm becomes the threshing sledge. All right? And I... I had to look up what a threshing sledge was. It's like a plow, right? It's it's, it's basically like a, so if you think about it, a worm, um, if you throw a worm in dirt, it's gonna dig and burrow, but it's not gonna be super effective. Like you're probably not gonna want to follow the worm and and plant your crops. But God's going to turn this worm, what does it say? Fear not, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is a holy one of Israel. Behold, I make you a threshing sledge, new, sharp, and having teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and crush them. You shall make the hills like chaff. You shall winnow them and the wind will carry them away. The tempest will scatter them. And You shall rejoice in the Lord and the Holy One of Israel. You shall glory. That process of winnowing, you, you, you toss your grain up and the and the wind com, comes along and it separates the chaff and you, you end up with, like if, the, if there's a light breeze, you end up with this big pile of chaff over there, right? God says, I'm going to blow with a gust. I'm going to take a gale, and I'm going to remove it completely. You won't even see it. I'm going to take you as a worm. I'm going to make you a threshing sledge so new and sharp and powerful that you'll thresh the mountains and crush them. Here's the consolation he gives. Last, When the poor and needy seek water, in verse 17, there is none. Their tongue is parched with thirst. I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I'll make the wilderness a pool of water, the dry land springs of water. Basically, the needy are sustained in the desert. Okay, so you exile people, you feel like you are in the desert, you feel like you have no sustenance, I will give you rivers and springs and and cedar and acacia and myrtle and olive, and I will set in the desert the cypress, the plain, and the pine together. God is like terraforming this earth for his people, all right? The slave becomes the victor, the worm becomes the threshing sledge, the needy are sustained in the desert. Then we get to verse 21. Verse 21, God is going to make a charge and, and, and he's going to set it up like, like, a, like a courtroom case. He's going to say, set forth your case, says the Lord, bring your proof, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring and tell us what is to happen. He's basically saying, bring your idols to me and let's test them out. Let's have a court case. Tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome. Or declare to us the things to come. Tell, tell me what's going to happen. Go ahead, prophesy. If you're a prophet, prophesy and let's see if you're right. Tell us what's to come hereafter. And he goes on with this court case um, and we get to verse 24. Behold, you're nothing. It's like you you end with 23. He's issuing this challenge, and there's just silence. You are nothing. Your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. I, verse 25, I stirred up one from the north. I have the power to bring in the kings. Who declared it from the beginning that we might know? And beforehand that we might say he is right. God is saying, I told you this was going to happen. And now it did so you can look back and prove and say, man, he was right the whole time. I was the first to say "Design, behold, here they are. I give to Jerusalem a herald of good news. When I look, there's no one among these. There's no counselor who, when I ask, gives an answer. Behold, they are all, all your idols are delusion. Your works are nothing. They're, your metal images are empty wind. All right? There's, there's this futility in these idols. And what is the answer to the futility of the idols that they trust in? They're looking to these idols to deliver them. They're looking at these, there's this temptation as well as they're in Babylon to look around and say, maybe these are the real gods because they have, get, they have conquered us, right? They must be the ones that have all of the power, And there must be this temptation to come in and say, I'm going to put my trust in these other gods because obviously Babylon's more powerful. What is the answer to the futility of the idols? God says this in 42, or Isaiah says this, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. The answer to the futility of idols is the servant of God that we're going to see over and over and over at the end of Isaiah. And over and over and over, Jesus is going to confirm that he is that servant, right? These idols are futile. Where do we go for strength? Where do we go for comfort? Where do we go for power? And Jesus comes along and he says, I am the servant. He'll not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. He's not going to go around boasting about his power. He's going to be full of meekness. Bruised reed he'll not break. Faintly burning wick he will not quench. Um, and this is, this is weird. I, like, I don't, I don't, I'm not completely sure. The idea of a bruised reed and a faintly burning wick is the idea that God can make use out of anything. Nobody is too far gone for his use. You might feel like a bruisery, like I do not have the strength or power to support anything anymore. You might feel like uh, like a faintly burning wick, like you've burned your way towards the bottom and there's not much left and like, how am I going to give light to the world? God says, I will use you. I'm not done with you. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. The coastlands wait for his law. I'm going to take this servant by the hand, and I'm going to offer this servant as the covenant to my people. I'm not just going to make a covenant with my people. My servant himself will be the covenant. This is the new covenant in my blood. Do you see it? Behold, uh, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. So what is our response? Verse 10, sing to the Lord a new song. His praise from the end of the earth You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coast and their inhabitants. Let the deserts and its cities lift up their voice, the villages that Kidar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastland. The Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war. He stirs up his zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. Can you imagine his people singing this in exile? This is not them in triumph over all the nations singing out about the power of God. This is them in exile as people who are away from their home, who have been judged, who are oppressed. They are the ones who are supposed to sing the Lord a new song. Verse 14, for a long time I've held my peace. I have kept still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. God is saying, I have... have, Um, saved my voice. I have held my peace and now I'm going to cry out. I'm going to lay waste mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. He says, I will lead the blind in a way they don't know. In past they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do and I do not forsake them. They are turned back and utterly put to shame who trust in carved idols who say to metal images, you are our gods. That's our passage here. What, is this, what does this passage mean? The first thing that I want us to get out of this passage is, our hope in difficult times is in the fact that God is sovereign over all things. Our hope in difficult times is the fact that God is sovereign over all things and will return to establish justice. Our hope in difficult times is in the fact that God is sovereign over all things and he will return to establish justice. God doesn't um, immediately deliver them. God doesn't explain to them exactly what he's doing. He says, I am the creator. Can you measure the mountains? Can you weigh them? Can, can you, you know, scatter the, the stars like a, like a curtain? Can you do that? Secondly, God gives his people strength to endure while they wait. God gives his people strength to endure while they wait. God gives his people strength to endure while they wait. And it's interesting, like we... um, we look at some of these, pa- I, I mentioned there's verses that we tend to take out of context um, and one of the ones that, that we do fairly often um, actually comes from Lamentations. Uh, Lamentations 3, um, if, if you if you look at the the book of Lamentations, I think our, our older kids, you guys talked about Lamentations last week, right? Um, Lamentations is basically this prophet crying out to God over and over again. Um, five poems um, and they're... Um, What's the word? They're acrostics. Is that, is that the word I'm looking for? Basically, they, they, they go through the Hebrew al- alphabet until you get to the end, and then the, the author just kind of gets rid of all his structure and speaks a poem of chaos, and it ends there, okay? So, Lamentations is this crying out to God that things are not fair, things are not the way they're supposed to be, and we get right to the middle of Lamentations and Lamentations 3, and he says, "...the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases." His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, right? And we put that on a coffee mug. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And it's easy to go to that coffee mug and that t-shirt and that pillow and, and claim those verses when everything's going right. And look, God is merciful to me. Look, I got a new job. You know, His mercies are new every morning. I, I'm doing really well in my work. You know, my kids are well adjusted. God's mercies are new every morning. It's really hard to take out that mug and drink from it when everything is falling apart. This word that, that God uses, the, uh, um, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, that steadfast love is that chesed that covenant faithfulness of God, that he cannot reject, he can't deny himself, and therefore, since he has made covenant with us, he can't reject us either. And in our lowest, when we are lamenting, Not when we're, these verses are not the mountaintop verses that like you go to camp and you have this amazing experience with God and his mercies are new every morning. This is the bottom of the barrel. Everything is a disaster. I don't know how I'm gonna face another day. Mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God gives us strength to endure while we wait for his return. Why do we struggle to believe this? What does it look like for us to struggle to believe this? Well, first of all, we said God is our hope, in difficult, or our hope in difficult times that God is sovereign. But so often, we leave the sovereign God and we put our hope in idols instead. Okay, so the people of Israel look around and they see these idols and they say, maybe, maybe since Babylon is powerful, maybe we should go after their idols. And it's very easy to look around at our society and say, man, you know, these, these people are powerful. These people are doing well. May, maybe I should be like them. Maybe I should put my hope in my financial situation. Maybe I should put my hope in the people around me. Remember, all flesh is like grass. The hesed of men will pass away and wither and fail, right? We put our hope in idols, and secondly, we, we fail to lean on God's strength. God gives us strength to endure while we wait for his return. We don't look to God to lean on God's strength. Like we, we are the type of people, I, I know especially in our, in our culture, that we will pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Right? Right? Like, things are going poorly. I just, need, I just need to work harder. I must be doing something wrong. I, like, I, I, I don't look to God for the strength to endure. I try to find ways to make the best of my own situation. I look to the idols around me. We struggle. We struggle with this. We don't often find comfort here because we're not looking in the right places for comfort. How is Jesus the hero of all this? How is Jesus the hero? The first, <laughs> the first way that Jesus is the hero, at, at the very beginning of this passage, remember Israel has been judged and God says, you've paid the penalty. Like You've, you've suffered enough. Um, you've paid the full consequences of your sin and now you're pardoned. And what God does for us in the new covenant, Jesus comes and accomplishes justice on our behalf. That means that you never have to pay the full penalty for your sins. You might suffer some of the natural consequences of doing stupid things, right? But you will never stand before God as a judge who is looking to condemn you. You are accounted as righteous because Jesus has accomplished justice on our behalf we never have to pay the full penalty of our sins. If we are in Christ, then God looks at us like he looks at Israel and he says, your iniquity is pardoned. Jesus has received from the Lord's hand double for all your sins. It is finished. Jesus accomplished just, accomplishes justice on our behalf. We never have to pay the full penalty of our sins. Hopefully there's comfort there. But beyond that, Jesus gives us the spirit, and you know what he calls him? I believe it's in John 14. Jesus gives the spirit, and depending on your translation, I I grew up with with the KJV, right? Um, And and, uh, John 14, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper— and if you look at other translations, but the comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus is saying, I'm going away, but I'm going to leave you with somebody who will comfort you. And what does he say just a couple verses later? Uh, he says, um, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What is the result of Jesus giving us the spirit? Like he put, he knows what he's doing to his disciples. He knows, he knows what's going to happen to them. And consequently, he knows what's going to happen to us, right? He knows he is calling his people to a difficult, broken world. And he says, I'm going away, but I'm going to leave you with the comforter who's going to leave you with peace. He's going to give you peace so that your hearts won't be troubled and you won't be afraid. It's that idea of like, everything will be all right in the end. All right? I don't know if you you listen to Weezer, but their album, some, some of you maybe got that, right? Everything will be all right in the end was one of their recent albums. And it starts out the very first song. Um, you hear this, this kid wake up in the middle of the night. For those of you who have kids, this is a familiar sound. And the kid is calling for their parents and saying, I had another nightmare. And you hear the mother's voice say, go back to sleep, honey. Everything will be all right in the end. Isn't that a weird thing to say to a little kid? Right? Right? Like, like if, if my kids have a nightmare, generally I go and tell them everything's going to be okay. Everything's fine right now, right? I can't always promise that to kids. Like, we, we talk in, in foster training, like, you have to be careful what you promise kids. Like, everything might not be okay right now. But what we have from Jesus is that we serve a sovereign God and everything will be all right in the end. And sometimes we're like that little kid who wakes up and we need our father because we had another nightmare. We had another encounter with this broken world that is out to get us. And we cry out. We give that lament. And how does God respond? He doesn't tell us what he's going to do. He tells us who he is. And sometimes that means coming to the scripture and reading the promises of God. Read through Isaiah 41 and see how God is a creator. Sometimes it means you need to actually go and look at those mountains that God has weighed and measured. Sometimes you need to go look at those waters that God has established the boundary of. Like it is therapeutic for you as a believer to go out into general revelation and see my God created that and he will sustain me if he has the power to do that and he promises that he will give me strength, then I can go on another day. And sometimes that's all, that's all we can do, right? Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we have those, and some of you are at the mountaintop. We celebrate with you. Some of you are at the bottom and we just want to proclaim to you, like you serve a good God who loves you, who has covenant faithfulness to that chesed, And he's the one that made those and caused them to rise. He knows how many there are. He knows how much they weigh. And he has given you the comforter to guide you through everything. So when you have those nightmares, God is saying to you, go back to sleep, honey. Everything will be all right in the end. And every week we get to go back and we get to take the bread, we get to dip it in the cup and we are reminded it is on the basis of Christ's sacrifice. Remember what Isaiah says about this servant as we go on and on through the rest of Isaiah. The servant has to suffer and he suffers on our behalf and that's how the new covenant is enacted. This is the new covenant in my blood. Let's be reminded of that today. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Um, we thank you for the comfort that you give us. Um, we thank you that when, when we are at our lowest, you have not abandoned us, that you give us the ability to sing a new song. Um, God, I pray that you would also give us the faith and repentance to believe that you are the creator. God, that you rule with your mighty right hand, that you come in power, in order to tend to your flock. That we are your children and we can cry out to you in the middle of the night and say we're struggling. We have no strength. And you give us your comforter. God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be real to us. That we would see that we have been filled with your Spirit that as we go out into this broken world and we're like a bruised reed or a burnt out candle that we know that we have the spirit in us and we are useful for your cause. Not because of our strength. We're just clay pots. You fill us, you make us useful, God. I pray that we would go out and not just proclaim your kingdom, but we would enact your kingdom this week. We would show people what it looks like for the king to come and restore justice. Make us demonstrations of that this week. God, for those who are at their lowest, um, give them the strength to endure another day. Um, Help them to see that you are good, that you are powerful, that you are offering your strength. God, I pray that uh, you would be with us this week. I pray that we would be reminded of that as we take the bread and the cup. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.